choir, the chorale, the choir. What an offering given to God this morning and enabling us to worship more fully. I'm so very grateful to all who have contributed to this burgeoning effort of the difference we make as we move into these days when we will focus on all of the things we do to make a difference and how we will support making a difference. Very grateful to Richard for his excellent leadership, to others of the stewardship team who have done such a superb job, Elizabeth Percy particularly working with our traditional worship services, Bailey Savage working with the contemporary service. So grateful for that good work. Our Dill Lecture Series last Sunday really, and, and on Monday, really set the tone for this. I believe Jim Wallace helped us to believe that we can make a difference and should make a difference. Uh, the, the brochure that you received this morning is a production of our, of our effort. I, I need to tell you that this brochure was made possible by an anonymous gift to Dolphin Way by someone who is not a member of Dolphin Way. None of our offerings, none of our church funds were used to produce this. We have paid for it with an anonymous gift. We also are being led in this stewardship effort by Pat Luna. Pat's not with us today. She will be here on October 21st and will preach the sermon on the day that we make our commitments. Pat is a professional stewardship consultant. She does this kind of work for a living. And she's presently working with two other churches besides our church. And those churches will be paying her for, their, for her services. She's doing our work as a gift to us. We are not paying her. And she's, she actually put the brochure together for us, and we printed it. You'll notice in the brochure the situation as Richard has described it this morning. You'll also notice in there that there are three goals The first is a faith goal, and the faith goal would simply get us to the place, 10% increase in giving would get us to the place that we can sustain our present budget. We would simply be able to do what we are now doing and not have to borrow, and and, uh, we could continue on. Our hope goal is a 20% increase over where we are now in terms of our giving. And this would enable us to do ministry and have some breathing room. We ask our staff to give us and our ministry leaders to give us the amounts they felt they needed to be able to do ministry well. And that's reflected in the love goal. That would be a 30% increase if we were to reach the love goal. And that would really enable us to do our work at the kind of level that you've seen here this morning. The hope goal would get us not quite that far, but we could, we could do ministry and have breathing room. So these are the three goals that are before us, and I am confident that we will reach that top goal. Indeed, our ministry leaders, those whom you elected to lead the church, have already made pledges. Most of them made pledges. We had just a few who haven't yet turned in their pledge, and their average increase is almost 30%. And so they are leading by example, and we're so very grateful for it. So that is an introduction to where we are and where we're headed. And as I think about where we are and I think about who we are, I am reminded of a man I knew. He was actually my uncle. 
He was a high-powered government man, the kind of man who really did make a difference. Back in the days when uh, we believed that government programs mattered, he spent his days organizing people and systems to help those who needed a newfangled service called rehab. His specialty was vocational rehabilitation, and he started and oversaw programs of vocational rehabilitation all over the southeastern United States. He really epitomized the on-time, well-organized, highly disciplined, self-motivated leader who could make things happen. And for those of us who knew him and watched him, it seemed to us that he was always in a hurry. He was always on the move, which really underscored the juxtaposition of a scene that occurred with him somewhere in rural Mississippi. And it was a story we heard often in our family. It goes like this. It was a warm, muggy afternoon, and he was temporarily lost, which meant that he was temporarily behind schedule. He and his wife rolled into a little one-horse town just after a hard rain. A solitary man of more than middle age was sitting on a bench in front of a store which appeared to be neither open nor closed. The man was wearing overalls with the side flaps unbuttoned and brogan shoes. Now, I know some of you don't know what brogan shoes are, but some of you do. Brogan shoes with laced but not tied. My uncle, the government man, was in the car, and he rolled down the window and beckoned this local fellow to come over so he could ask directions. The gentleman got up slowly and ambled in their direction. His stiffness associated with age was more than overcome by the ease of his mind. With Brogan's and overalls flopping, he walked not around but through a big puddle. Not wanting to appear to be in such a rush as to be disrespectful, the very much in a hurry husband of my daddy's older sister waited as long as he could before greeting the stranger in the calmest voice he could possibly muster. And he finally said, what's going on? To which the Mississippian replied, just pee-patching around, my man, just pee-patching around. That was a part of our family lore because, you see, the rest of the family, we existed somewhere in the middle, somewhere between the focused energy of our high-octane relative and the seasoned slackness of the anonymous man from Mississippi. And we marveled at the meeting of these two who represented the extremes, extremes of carefreeness and motivated purpose. We envied the one who had such an offhanded approach to life, but we knew for a fact that it was the other, our uncle, who was making the difference. And so we are here to think about the difference we make. And the agreed-upon mission statement of our church is to make disciples who make a difference. I think that is the perfect description of who we are and what we do. I have yet to find a pea-patching member of Dauphin Way. 
Making a difference is what we do. It is who we are. And so we were treated this morning to this wonderful ministry parade, this visual representation of our oversized effort to make a difference here and beyond. And the question I would ask is, why do we do this? Why are we so motivated? Now, it would be easy enough to say that Dauphin Way is simply made up of a lot of highly motivated people. That's how my family explained our the above average performance of our relative. One of my family members said of him that he was wound up tighter than a cheap watch. The same could be said of some of us. But nervous energy and entrepreneurship will only go so far. There is an enduring intentionality in what we do. There is sacrifice in what we do. There is a long-term giving of the whole self, heart, mind, time, time, talent, and pocketbook. Consider this. Every single one of those ministries that you saw this morning represented by those signs held by our young people, every one of those ministries started as an idea that someone had about making a difference. What motivated, what moved that person to suggest that we do that ministry? And what motivated those who joined them in the effort? What motivates those who continue to make investments in all of these ways we make a difference? The answer, I think, is very simple. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who endows us with this deep desire, this enduring desire to make a difference. It is his Holy Spirit who implants in our hearts and minds the vision and the wherewithal to reach out as we do. Now, we're not perfectly obedient, of course. We stumble along. We sometimes miss the mark. But the thing is, we are not sitting on the bench watching the world go by. We are engaged. We are trying with God's help to make a difference. And the difference we seek to make, we seek to make in the name and in the spirit of Jesus and for the sake of those whom Jesus loves. It has been this way from the very beginning for the church. We read of Jesus sending out those original apostles Matthew says that the Lord commissioned them and gave them authority to heal, to cast out demons. They were disciples, they were followers, and then Matthew says they are apostles, they are those who are sent out. And Matthew says that they are sent out to do the very thing that Jesus is doing. And Matthew names these disciples who became apostles, these followers of Jesus who began to do Jesus' will and work in the world. Their names represent their individuality. They represent their specificity. These are people who are engaged in doing the will of God, making a difference in this, their time. 
It is the very nature of Christian discipleship. To claim the name of Jesus is to accept the life of one who comes to seek and serve and save us all. There is no Christian discipleship apart from the Christian call. Jesus calls us, and we hear, and we answer, Here I am, Lord. And the deep paradox of his call is that at once, it is at once a call to rest in him. It is a call to be at ease in him. It is a call to contentment in him. And it is at the same time a call to launch out, a call to move out into the world with apostolic purpose. And so Jesus calls and we say, here I am, Lord, send me. So the apostle Paul writes of the Macedonians and of their eagerness to be a part of an offering for the relief of those who are suffering from famine in the Jewish homeland. These Macedonians are not Jewish Christians, they are Gentiles. And they are poor Gentiles. And Paul says that out of their extreme poverty, giving according to their means and beyond their means, their generosity overflowed. They begged Paul for the opportunity to be a part of this effort to make a difference in the lives of their Hebrew sisters and brothers. And out of their poverty, they give with overflowing abundance. They've not been guilted into this. They are not the victims of some master manipulator. They give because they care. They give because it is the nature of Christ to make a difference. And their difference is threefold. They do contribute to the relief of the suffering. And I must pause here and say just a word about that. In the midst of our effort to raise money for our church, to meet our budget, we will be appealing to you to give to the general fund of the church, the regular offering. But we are also at a time when there are people in North Carolina who need our help. There are people in Indonesia who need our help. And the United Methodist Committee on Relief will be receiving donations and 100% of what we give will go to help those folks in need. And we need to respond there above and beyond what we do for our local church. These Macedonians help relieve suffering. They gave credibility to the gospel message. And finally, they bore witness to us. We read of their generosity. And as we read, the Spirit moves us to say, Amen. And we would say to them, we know why you did it. We understand. We feel the same thing. We have the same desire. In your time, you wanted to make a difference for Jesus' sake. And we want to do the same. We know the same desire stirs our souls. Though the centuries separate us, you are our brothers and sisters. As you made a difference in your time, we are resolved to make a difference in our time. And we make the difference here in the ways that are appropriate for us. We answer the call in a way that is fitting and appropriate for our background, our experience, our temperament. 
we answer the call in the way that seems right to us and to the Holy Spirit as we follow the leading of Christ. And our giving is an outward and visible expression of who we are in Christ. We are blessed to be a blessing. And this difference that we make, all of these things we do, is a difference we want to not only continue making, we want to make in ever-increasing measure. My uncle was not born to privilege, but grew up during the Depression in a little sawmill town that had seen better days in the cutover woods of South Alabama. He got the opportunity to play football at Troy, and that was his way to a better life. But he never understood the better life as being simply for himself and his own. He was a man in motion for the sake of others. And that was how he answered the call. We all have to decide how we will answer the call to make a difference. I am so very grateful for all that you do, all that we do together to make a difference. And with God's help and with your generosity and your faithfulness, we will not only continue to do so, we will grow in the difference we make. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. And now we are invited to sing our closing hymn. And it is a hymn that we will sing more than once during this campaign. And uh, I'll invite Trey to come and introduce that hymn since I can't seem to find my glasses if you'll do that for us please sir.